0: Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 we will start a new series in the month of August called The Art of War. The Art of War. We're going to talk about what is spiritual warfare, how does it affect your everyday life, and how you can walk in victory no matter what. What is spiritual warfare, how does it affect your everyday life, and how you can walk in victory no matter what. So today I'm just going to lay the foundation for the series. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. People have a tendency to remember the first and the last thing you tell them. Right? So what he's saying is finally, I need you to remember this. In addition to everything else I said, but I need you to remember this. So everything he's about to say is how he's closing the letter, but things he wanted this church at Ephesus not to forget. He tells them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Normally, we just read past it and go, let's talk about the armor, and now we know how to fight against the strategies of the enemy. But we skip over the phrase, my brethren, because we see it so often. But my brethren, this word here is adelphos in the Greek. And I'm going to read from Rick Renner. How many of you have been blessed by the ministry of Rick Renner before? I know he's spoken here. I've known him since I was 14. And so he's pouring into my life time again and again and again and again, so I have no problem taking his notes and re-preaching them. <laughs> so he made a really good comment about this in one of his writings. He said, in its very oldest sense, the word Adelphos, brother, was used by physicians in the medical world to describe two people who were born from the same womb. So when the early Greeks addressed each other as brethren, they meant to convey the idea, you and I are brothers, we came out of the same womb of humanity, we have the same feelings, we have similar emotions, and we deal with the same problems in life. In every respect, we are truly brothers. But the word brethren also had another very significant meaning during New Testament times, a meaning that it doesn't have in our world today. It was used during the time of Alexander the Great to describe faithful soldiers. These fighting men were true brothers, comrades, and partners who were united to fight the same fight, handle the same weapons, and win the same wars. From time to time, Alexander the Great would hold huge public ceremonies where he would give awards to soldiers who have gone the extra mile in battle. When the most coveted awards were given, Alexander the Great would beckon the most faithful soldiers on stage to stand next to him. Before an audience of adorned soldiers, Alexander would embrace each faithful soldier and publicly declare, Alexander the Great is proud to be the brother of this soldier. That word brother was this same Greek word adelphos, but in this instance it referred to military men who were brothers in battle. This was the highest and greatest compliment that could be given to a soldier during the time of Alexander the Great. Thus, to be a brother meant that a person was a true comrade. Through the thick and thin of battle, these soldiers stood together, achieving a special level of brotherhood known only by those who stay united together in the heat of the fray. This was also part of what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the early church. So when he's saying my brethren, saying my comrades in arms, we're in the same fight together. Now, one of the things you have to know in this Christian life, is not skipping through the flowers. So, is it just so wonderful Let's stop and smell the roses. That's great and that's good. But you have to understand if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to fight. Christianity is not the belief system for the wimp. It's not the belief system for the weak. It is the belief system of the strong. And it doesn't mean you're strong in your own power because he said be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Which means even if we have weak moments, even if we feel we can't go on, we got to pick ourselves up, tap into the power of God, and keep moving anyways. Because if you're going to be an effective Christian in these days, you got a man up, you got a woman up. You can't be, oh, I don't know what to do because life got tough. Yes, life gets tough, but the power of God is greater and you can win in any battle. Amen. When you have to understand spiritual warfare from the Scripture, you always have to see it from a place of victory. Amen. Why? Because Jesus already won the battle. So if you see it from a place of victory, you are enforcing the victory Jesus has already given you. So this phrase be strong is the Greek word which means to empower, to increase in strength, to enable, and to infuse with strength. It means to empower, to increase in strength, to enable, and to infuse with strength. This word is from the word dunamis, which means explosive miraculous force or the ability to do miracles. So this Greek word indunamu from be strong means to be infused with supernatural power. So, how are you going to be strong in the Lord? To be empowered by the supernatural power that comes from the Lord? Let's go to John 15. We've been in and out of John 15 since May. And I encourage you if you miss any of those messages from Grow or Source or the bucket list to get it on our website or listen to it on the podcast and listen to it again and again and again. John 15. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You must abide, remain connected, if you want to be empowered by the supernatural power of God. Now think about if you're using any type of appliance at home, you can only use it if it's plugged in and you paid your electric bill. Because if you didn't pay it or you unplug it, There's no power for that appliance. Even if you use your phone or your iPad or whatever device you use, it has a battery and it can go a little while until it has to eventually be charged again. It is the same way in your life. If you don't charge up and remain connected, eventually you will depower. And if you depower, you will wither like the rest of the world. So if you want to be strong in the Lord, and you want to win the battles that you face in life, you have to remain connected. Go back to Ephesians. One of the things here, if you're new to faith, we are a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. We will walk you scripture after scripture after scripture, preparing our case like we are a lawyer. Because we believe this truth very wholeheartedly, you never should take the word of a preacher unless he can prove it to you from the book. And not one obscure scripture, but let two or three witnesses. Because if you take a text out of the context, you'll get the con. And we want people to live by the book, not people's opinions. It's like our founder says, opinions are like butts. Everybody's got one. Different sizes, different whatever. But your opinion has no weight. Because your opinion can't set people free but the Bible can. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word power here means vigor, dominion, and strength. And the word might means force and ability. So in this verse, we are commanded to be empowered and filled with God's supernatural power and the strength of his ability. Put on some of the armor of God. The whole armor of God. You got to wear your armor. This is not a nudist colony. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you're not in power of God's supernatural power, the strength of his ability, and wearing the full armor of God, you will not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you're not in power with God's supernatural power and the strength of his ability and wearing the full armor of God, you will not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This word wiles means the cunning arts, the deceit, the craft, the trickery, the schemes, and the strategies. It means the cunning arts, the deceit, the craft, the trickery, the schemes, and the strategies. The greatest weapon Satan has is deception. That's all he has left. We're about to look at the strategies Jesus says Satan has, and it's all crafted in deception. He can only trick you and make you believe he has more power than he has. So let's look at the strategies he has these wiles. go to Mark chapter 4, the most important parable in the Bible. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 1. And he, Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land, and he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, and his teaching, hearken, pay attention, listen to this. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed. Some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away." Important word there. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some a 100. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Thank God we have ears to hear. Amen. And when he was alone... They that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Have you ever asked yourself, why was it given to them to know? Because you say, well, they're the twelve disciples. But it wasn't the twelve who asked the question. It says, they that were about him with the twelve. Luke chapter 8 tells you who else was there. It was more than just the 12, it was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Susanna, it was a number of the women, a number of people who traveled with Jesus to support his ministry. So what did this group of people outside of the 12 do? They always made themselves in a place where they could hear the word of God. They consistently were in a place where they could hear what Jesus was saying. But also, these were a group of individuals who had committed themselves to the mission of the Savior and were paying and supporting the ministry. So he says to them, unto you it is given to know this mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time, notice at any time, they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. So Jesus said, any time they chose to have their ears open, any time they choose to see, they can receive. It's a matter of choice. One of the most powerful things God has ever given you is the power of your own choice. And he said unto them, know you not this parable. How then will you know all parables? Which means this parable is the key to all the parables Jesus taught. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. So you see people who have hard hearts and those who have stony hearts, the first two issues we're going to deal with here are self-inflicted defeats. So they lose even before Satan shows up. But the next thing, five things you'll see are the attacks of the enemy. who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So they put themselves in a position to hear the word. That's good. They receive the word with gladness. That word gladness means with a shout. So they heard the word of God, and they began to praise God. They're doing pretty good, right? And have no root in themselves. Wait a minute. That means they have production. So if you want what you hear to produce, you need to praise God after you hear it. You need to thank God after you hear the word of God. That's going to give you immediate production. But what was their issue? They had no root in themselves. They didn't let the word of God go deep and remove things they needed to remove. And they didn't guard their heart. They endured but for a time, a little while. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the what's sake? So why did affliction and persecution come? Because God wanted to teach you something? It came because you got the word. And so who sent the affliction and persecution? Satan. He came to get the word from the others, and now he's coming to stop the word from producing in those hearts through affliction and persecution. What is affliction? Affliction is from the Greek word meaning oppressing together or pressure. It is pressure brought by circumstances. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstances, a doctor's report that's unfavorable, a financial crisis, something going on in your family or at work, not necessarily about people, but a situation or circumstance that brings pressure. But not all circumstances that bring pressure are from the enemy. Some are self-inflicted. You can run out of money at the end of the month because you gambled all your money away. That wasn't the devil. That was you. So, oh, I'm in pressure. Yes, you are, but Satan had nothing to do with it. Persecution is pressure brought by people. Persecution is pressure brought by people. Now, not all pressure from people is from Satan. Some people may bring pressure your way because you are a jerk. Oh, they're just hating on me. Well, oh, stop being rude. <laughs> Understand the range of persecution. Because some people think when they hear persecution, they rightfully think of people in the Middle East today and other parts of the world, and over the last couple thousand years who have died for their faith, who have been tortured, who have been maimed, who have been killed for standing up for Jesus. And yes, that is persecution. Well, that's persecution on the extreme side. There's also light persecution and middle persecution. And what is the definition? Pressure brought by people. So a mid-range persecution would be people trying to affect your job and your livelihood and your finances because you took a stand for Jesus. Or making laws to limit what believers can do. That is still a form of persecution, pressure brought by people, hoping to add affliction to the already pressure and put them in a financial circumstance that has pressure. So persecution is pressure brought by people. It can be on a light side, it can be extreme side, but it's still pressure brought by people. Notice what happened when the affliction, the persecution arose for the word's sake. It says immediately they are offended. That word means they were trapped, they stumbled, they were enticed to sin, and they fell into sin. Why did they fall into sin? They let go of the word. They didn't fall into sin because the pressure was there. They fell into sin because when the pressure came, they let go of the word that they heard. You have to understand, if you hear the word of God, pressure is coming. Let me help you as soon as you leave this building. Pressure is coming. Get ready for it. Instead of being surprised when it comes, just know it's coming. See, one of the things about Paul, when he read his letters, he was a person that faced pressure all the time. He wrote in his letter in Corinthians, he says, you think you've been through something? (laughs) I've been whipped. I've been beaten multiple times. I've been stoned and left for dead. He's not talking about, I got some bad weed in Colorado. He says, they took some rocks and hit me again and again and again till I stopped moving. (laughs) These were people who knew how to kill you. And so it talks about in the book of Acts, after they stoned him, he's laying there. They're thinking, what are we going to do? The man of God is dead. They gather in a circle around him, and Paul gets up and walks back into the city they stoned him at. And as he wakes up early the next morning, goes on his journey, he didn't even take a day off. He's been shipwrecked, spent a day and a half floating in the ocean. We don't know if he could swim. We don't know if he just saw shark week. He could have been bothered by stuff going by his leg in the water. And so, you think, man, shipwrecked once, I ain't getting on a boat again. He got shipwrecked three times. And then he talks about, he said, I'm in danger of false believers. Danger of false Jews. dangers of false Gentiles. Everywhere I go, I'm in danger. I'm walking along the road, I'm in danger. I'm in the ocean, I'm in danger. And where did it come from? When you read the next chapter, you see there was an enemy spirit assigned to stop him. We're going to look at this in the next part. But it's sent to buffet him, which means to hit again and again and again. So everything Paul went through, the enemy was trying to stop him through affliction and persecution, hitting him again and again and again. But he eventually said, I glory in my weakness. Because where I am weak, I will be made strong because of the power of Christ that is upon me. So instead of wimping out, it says, I quit He said, I am faithful to the end, and you can't stop me. Paul was in control of his destiny. When you read the book of Philippians, he says, I haven't decided if I want to go home to be with the Lord yet or if I want to stay. Wait a minute. You are in jail. Who said it's your choice? It's the Roman government. They're going to kill you. But in Paul's mind, they are in control of my destiny. I am in control of my own destiny. It doesn't matter what the government or anybody tries to do. I am in control. So you read the letter a little bit more. He says, you know what? I've decided because it's better for you, I will stay so that your joy may be full. They could not stop him. He'd get back up again and say, say it, and that's your best shot, hit me again. That's the equivalent of, Davon, come here for a second. It's the equivalent of Davon challenging Mayweather to a fight, you got this. talking a whole bunch of game, and it's just hit me, give me your best shot. Look, one shot from Mayweather. <laughs> That's enough. So Mayweather, boom. He gets back up. That's all you got. Hit me again. Boom. Really? Such a wimp. Is that all you got? Hit me again. That's how Paul viewed his life, and Satan could not stop him. He said, "Well, Paul was. He was a martyr. Yeah, when he wanted to go home. He says, it's time for me to go. I'm out. That's when he actually left. Thanks. You cannot quit. Say, I will not quit. Look at your neighbor and say, you cannot quit. Look at your other neighbor. And depending on the gender, say, man up or woman up. You cannot quit. You have to fight. You have to endure the pressure. You have to push back. You have to believe that when you need it, the glory of God will come upon you and strengthen you so that you can handle it and you can push through the pressure and you will have the victory. You can't quit. You can't give up. Your best is yet to come. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't quit. Push. Press until something happens. Pray until something happens. Pray and push till it changes. Don't let Satan rob you of your harvest. Harvest time is the time where you have to put the most work in. I never grew up on a farm, and I don't think most of us in here did, but harvest time doesn't look like a time where you just sleep in, going, oh, I'm so glad the harvest is here. No, you gotta go out and reap your harvest, even if it's hot Even if it's uncomfortable, you got to get up. Even if you're tired, even if you feel like quitting, you got to get your feet out of the bed, roll yourself out the bed, and keep moving so you can get what belongs to you. It's the same way in your Christian life. You don't have time to be depressed. You don't have time to be tired. You don't have time to be quit. You have to keep moving. Got to keep pressing. You can do it. How do I know? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter what you are facing you are more than a conqueror through him that loves you the pressure is not greater than you you are greater than the pressure so don't back up because affliction or persecution comes your way don't back down because of the attack of the enemy this these people let go of the Word of God and then it says their production was scorched and withered away What does that mean? There's no evidence that they ever received a word of God in their life. They now look like the rest of the world, like they never heard the word of God. The next verse. He talks about the last three tactics of the enemy. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Notice as they they spring up and choke or crowd out the word. Notice, if they sprung up, they came from the heart. There are three different types of sowing. It's God sowing the word, it's you sowing the word into your heart, and it's the things the enemy and his system will try to sow. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things are seeds. And if you allow those things to be sown in your heart, and you don't deal with it, it will grow up, and choke out the production of the word you have in your heart. What is the care of this world? It is worry and anxiety. It's also defined as worry and anxiety that produces a distraction that leads you away from what you're supposed to be. So if you stay in worry, stay in anxiety, that seed being sown in your heart that's gonna crop out and push out and crowd out the word. So you wonder, well, why isn't the word working? You're in worry. You're anxious. You're in fear. Next one is deceitfulness of riches. What is that? Believing lies about money. Deceitfulness of riches is believing lies about money. If you do whatever you have to do to get it, you believe lies about money. If you believe money will answer all your problems, you believe a lie about money. If you believe money is evil, you believe a lie about money. Well, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That phrase in the Greek is avarice, which means extreme greed. So extreme greed is the root of all evil. Money is neither good nor bad. It's an amplifier. People say, oh, they were crazy when they got money. No, they were already crazy. They were just too broke for you to see It's just an amplifier. Then lust of other things. What is a lust? It's an inordinate strong desire for something that is forbidden. It's an inordinate strong desire for something that's forbidden. It doesn't just mean sex. It means anything that is an inordinate strong desire for what you're not supposed to have. This is what Satan wants to sow in your heart. This is what the world tries to sow in your heart. And if you don't block it, if you don't guard your eyes and guard your ears, if you don't cultivate your own heart, it will grow up and choke out the word. But then you see those who guard the heart, who cultivate the heart, they get 30, 60, and 100-fold. These are the only five tactics Satan has. Say, affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. So you've seen the wiles and the strategies of the devil. That's all he has, and they're all cloaked in deception. What is the deception of affliction and persecution? You're not going to be able to make it. You're going to have to give up. Deceitfulness of riches, the deception is you don't have enough money, you never will, or money can solve all your problems. Cares of this world, God can't come through for you, so you're worried. Lust of other things, if you get what you're lusting after, you'll finally be satisfied. It's all clothed in deception. It's all clothed in the lies of the enemy. So be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Right? Notice what it says next. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, this word wrestle, when I was looking at it in one of my dictionaries, it has a very interesting definition I hadn't seen before. So it's wrestling a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. It's decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. So what is Satan trying to do in this attack? Get his hands on your neck and hold you down. A position he doesn't have. Because after the victory of Jesus, if Satan gets above your feet, he's too high. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So that means you have to remember who your real enemy is. It's not people. It's not men. It's not women. It's not black people. It's not white people. It's not Mexican people. It's not Republicans. It's not Democrats. It's not independents. It's not the Russians, it's not the Iranians, it's not the North Koreans. Who is the real enemy? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What are these things? This is Satan's rank and file of his army. But notice something that it says, but against principalities. But against powers, against the rulers, against the spiritual wickedness. Notice how many times that word against is. It's a strange use of that word because it's not the just against in a normal connotation of the word. This word against means face-to-face combat. They are in your face every day trying to defeat you and put their hand on your neck. Principalities was a military term for high-ranking generals. Powers are those who are given authority by those above them to do whatever they desire. Spiritual wickedness in high places wicked, twisted spirits operate in the air above us, not in heavenly places where it's talking about and in the third heaven where God resides, but in the stars and the air above our heads. But this rule of the darkness was an interesting word when I was looking at something else Rick Renner produced. He said, it's from a word, a military term that describes a boot camp, where there are marshaled and trained troops, marshaled together for a specific purpose. We'll get into this in the weeks to come. There are spirits who are assigned to do certain things. There are unclean spirits. You see, Jesus dealt with them a lot. There are spirits of infirmity, the spirits of sicknesses. They're spirits of cancer. There's are spirits of different things that are assigned with a purpose. There's are spirits of anger. they spirits of discouragement. There are sexual perversion spirits. There are different types of spirits that have different types of things and a specific attack. Marshal together to enslave mankind and stop the church. Those are your real enemies. But notice what it says. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? The day of test. The day of temptation. The day of trial. The day of attack. The word withstand means to resist. What is resist? Tell Satan No. We were at my daughter's 15, 16 month checkup. They asked certain questions and they said, does she understand the concept of no? And I'm thinking, she more than understands that concept. Because someone can ask her, do you want something? And she'll go, no, no, no. No, no, no. She clearly knows what she wants and what she doesn't want. And the thing is, my 16-month-old daughters know it's stronger than the devil. You have to tell him no. You could tell him no when you weren't saved. Satan could have been tempted to go out and do something you didn't want. You're not supposed to do, but you were too tired to go out, so you slept in. So you told Satan no because you wanted to sleep. God told Cain in the book of Genesis that he could master sin and he wasn't a believer. You have to tell the enemy no, that's resisting him. How long do you have to tell him no? Till he leaves. Having done all, stand. It doesn't mean, oh, you fought. You're able to stand at the end of the battle. That's not what that phrase means. It means to stand victoriously. It means to stand victoriously, meaning you won. So remember, spiritual warfare must be viewed through the triumph of Jesus Christ. You are not warring to get the victory, you are enforcing the victory Jesus won for you. Next point. It's hard to be effective in spiritual warfare if you are bound yourself. It's hard to be effective in spiritual warfare if you are bound yourself. You may be able to put up a fight, but if you are handcuffed and you are bound, you won't be able to fight the way you're supposed to. You won't be able to fight effectively. And too many believers are bound by the devil and aren't able to fight. So how do people become bound? Through allowing the enemy seeds of Mark 4 to grow unchecked by thinking on the wrong thoughts. Go to Second Corinthians 10. It's hard to be effective in spiritual warfare if you are bound yourself. It's hard to set somebody else free if you're bound yourself. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those are mentalities and imaginations. Casting down imaginations or reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you do not control your thought life, the enemy will have an open door to build a stronghold or mentality that is against Christ. If you do not control your thought life, the enemy will have an open door to build a stronghold or mentality that is against Christ. If you do not control your thought life, the enemy will have an open door to build a stronghold or mentality that is against Christ. Another way people are bound is by making a lifestyle of the works of the flesh. Another way people are bound is by making a lifestyle of the works of the flesh. Go to Galatians 5. It's hard to be effective in spiritual warfare if you are bound yourself. And another way people are bound is by making a lifestyle of the works of the flesh. Galatians 5. Verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 16 and verse 18 is talking about walking under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things you look out for when you're reading the New Testament, in the Greek there's not a capital S or a lowercase s. So based on the context of the scripture, you will understand if he's talking about the Holy Spirit or your reborn, recreated spirit. So verse 16 and 18 is talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit in verse 17 is talking about your spirit that you have, the real you on the inside. It says, for the flesh lust against. That word lusteth here means to put pressure on. For the flesh puts pressure against your human spirit, and your human spirit puts pressure against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So your spirit and your body are in a fight. Each are putting pressure on the other. Who wins? Whatever your mind decides. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in this natural body. Your soul is your mind, your will, and the very seat of your emotions. So if you do not renew your mind to the Word of God, if you're not in a place where you're always hearing the word continually, continually, your mind will side with your body and you're loose. And you're wondering, why can't I do the things I'm supposed to do? Why am I always struggling in this area? It's because you haven't renewed your mind and your body's winning. But if you're led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are these, which are adultery, sleeping with someone you're not married to, fornication. Fornication, this is a Greek word, pornea, which means sexual immorality. It's defined in the Greek as having sex with someone you're not married to, as homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, prostitution, and pornography. Uncleanness, it means the impurity of lust. Lasciviousness, it means lack of self-control, total irresponsibility concerning sex. Idolatry. It means putting things in God's place, extreme greed, or vices springing from idolatry and things peculiar to it. This includes prostitution in that sense of the day, but in today's sense, it includes sleeping around in order to get ahead. Witchcraft. This word witchcraft is the Greek word pharmakia. Yes, it includes sorcery, but it also includes drug use. Because back in those days, in some of the Greek religions and some of the pagan rituals, in order for them to summon up whatever God or spirit they believed in, they would take the priestess, swing her over a pit where the drugs had been poured out, she would get high and come back and prophesy. Drug use. All oh, that weed don't hurt nobody. You sure? Hatred, variance, which means contention, quarreling, always fighting, strife. Emulations, which means envious and contentious rivalry. Envious and contentious rivalry. Wrath, strife. This word strife is different. It's defined as self-seeking of political office by unfair means. What is that? Putting yourself up while tearing people down doing whatever it takes to get ahead, tearing people down so that you look better. See, sometimes it seems even innocent because you don't like the spotlight being taken off of you. That someone else has some good report, something good happened in their life, but you try to one-up them. That's pride, and it goes before a fall. Seditions, that means dissension, division. Heresies, this word heresy actually means factions. It's always breaking up into different cliques and excluding others. This includes racism and bigotry. Envyings, murders, drunkenness. What's interesting about this word drunkenness is the Greek word from which we get the word meth from. Nothing's new under the sun, by the way. Revelings, this word revelings means late night drinking parties. Late night drinking parties or going clubbing. Because where the Greek word came from, they would be drinking and singing and dancing, celebrating the god Bacchus. Just because you don't have the god Bacchus name over the club doesn't mean it's not reveling. It's okay. I'm just reading the Bible. These previous 17 are all works of the flesh. But if a person makes it their habit, practice, or lifestyle, if the person makes these 17 works of the flesh their habit, practice, or lifestyle, demon spirits that specialize in this area will join themselves to them and put them into bondage. If a person makes any of these 17 works of the flesh their habit, practice, or lifestyle, demon spirits that specialize in this area will join themselves to them and put them to bondage. So what do you do if you are bound today? Isaiah chapter 10 verse 27 says that the burden shall be removed and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing is the burden removing, yoke destroying, power of God. Go to Luke chapter 4. The anointing is the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, because we're going to get people free today. You're going to leave this place being able to fight effectively because you won't be bound when you leave this place. Works of the flesh can lead to addictions which can lead into bondages of demon spirits. Luke 4, verse 18. Notice what Jesus said about himself. He turned to the book Isaiah where it is was written and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, he has empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering a sight to them that are bruised, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said, I'm anointed to set people free. Doesn't matter how they got bound, I'm anointed to set them free. I'm anointed to open up those chains. Go to John chapter 8. The anointing is here to set people free. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. John 8, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue, not just here once, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you, those who continue in his word, shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is the truth? The word of God. The word of God is what makes you free. Anytime the word of God goes out, people are being delivered. People are being set free every time the preaching and teaching of the word of God goes forth from the pulpit. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. I say unto you, whosoever commits or practices sin, or sin is their lifestyle, is the servant or the slave of sin. And the slave, the servant, abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is anointed to set the captives free. The word is anointed to set the captives free. And it's anointed to enable you to live free from all oppression and bondage. That if you live by the word, you will never be slave to any man or any addiction or any spirit. 1 John 3.8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested or revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. This word destroy is defined as to loose any person-bound, tied, or fastened. So what does Jesus do? Why did he come? He came to loose everybody, to lock every handcuff. He came and opened every prison door. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. So wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. Wherever he is, there is liberty. And he's in this place today, and there is freedom. And there is liberty for you. Everything needed for you to be freed and live a life of liberty has already been provided. It's not welcome one day, or in the sweet by and by, or when you get to heaven. It is here right now. So how do you access it? Go to Genesis 27, let's wrap this thing up. Genesis 27, and we'll get some people free. Genesis 27. Genesis 27, verse 35, the story of Jacob and Esau, and as a point that I didn't send recently to listen to a message about a month or so ago. Jacob sneaks in to steal the blessing that Isaac wanted to give Esau. Since Jacob was moved, Esau was hairy, so his mom said, let's get these goat skins, let's put it all around your arms, let's put on Esau's clothes so that you smell like Esau, and your father can't see that well, so when he touches your arms, he'll think it's Esau. Now, that's a problem, that you're so hairy, (laughs) you can trick somebody by wearing some goat skins. Another message. (laughs) And the thing is, his mother thought she was helping God out, because the Lord told her that the younger will be greater than the older, so you think, well, I need to help God out. You don't need to help God out. You just do what the word says. That's enough help. Because when you start putting your own thinking into it, that's how we get in trouble. Yep. So Jacob is blessed by Isaac with a wonderful blessing. He leaves out. Esau brings the food that his father asked. He's done everything he's supposed to do in this instance. And Isaac realizes he's tricked. And Esau pleads and says, bless me even more. Me also, O my father. he said, your brother came with subtlety and has taken away your blessing. And he says, is he not rightly named Jacob or trickster? For he has supplanted me, he's tricked me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, hath thou not reserved a blessing for me? Isn't there anything left? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, behold, I have made him your Lord. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. With corn and, with, and wine have I sustained him. And shall, what shall I do now unto you, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Has thou but one blessing, for my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. That doesn't sound like a good blessing. But notice what it says next. It shall come to pass, when you shall have the dominion, that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. The New King James says, when you become restless... The message version says, when you can't take it anymore. The New Living Translation says, when you decide. So although Jacob is going to be greater, although the situation has set up Jacob to win, what was the blessing? When you decide, you will be free. When you grow restless, when you can't take it anymore, you will be free. When will you get set free from hell? When will you get set free from your addictions? When will you get set free from demonic bondage? When you decide, I don't want this thing anymore. You can't be like Pharaoh. When Moses asked him, when do you want frogs to leave? He said, tomorrow. It was a plague. You should have said, now, yesterday, get out. But so many of us, because of feelings of shame, feelings of guilt, Think we can't be freed until this time or because my father had it, my grandfather had it, my great-grandmother had it. I have to have it. No, the generational curse does not have to keep going through the family. You don't have to keep dying of heart disease. You don't have to keep dying in poverty. When you decide, you will be free. (laughs) When do you want to be free? When will you be tired? When will you be restless? When will you get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because when you decide, you will be free. Why? Jesus has already provided everything you need to be free. God bless 12-step programs, but you can break. So if you want to be free today, you have to make a quality decision, you have to decide. A quality decision is backed up by daily, hourly, sometimes moment-by-moment decisions to keep doing what you said you are going to do. It's a decision where you consistently say no to the devil no matter what he does. It's a decision where you decide to consistently resist temptation and the desires of your flesh. You have to repent and turn from your sin and wrongdoing. Admit to God, I missed it. Ask for His forgiveness, He'll forgive you, clean you up. Then go the other direction, change your mind about it. Which leads to number three control your thought life and bring it into line with the Word of God. Renew your mind with the Word of God. Romans 12 teaches us that. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 10, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Don't let a thought get by. You don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts with words. You have to open your mouth and say what the word says. You have to open your mouth and say, Philippians 4.8, that you think on things that are good, pure, love, you have a good report, praiseworthy, virtuous, have any praise. That's what you think on. You have to memorize that scripture and you have to say it if you're going to battle for your thought life. And you have to continue in the word and abide in God. Now, before you have to continue in the word and abide in God. Don't say, oh, I got free today. I don't need to come to church for six more months. No, stick with it. Go to Ephesians 6 and close this thing out. When you decide. I've made my decision. I'm going to live free and walk in victory. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done all, stand victoriously. Stand victoriously, therefore, having your loins, gird about with truth. The first armor is the belt. It's the belt of truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So this belt is the word of God. What's so important about this belt, it holds every other piece of armor in place. If the belt wasn't there, no armor would be there and there'd be sagging and no defense from the enemy. You have to wear the word. You have to stay and continue, abide in the word. The next is the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is your standing with God. You will never be more righteous than you are when you are born again. You can do righteous things, but righteousness is your standing. If you continue in the word, you continue saying what the word of God says, that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, your mind will be renewed to that point, and your righteousness will shine more and more. Just because you made a mistake, just because you got into sin, just because you even got into bondage does not mean you're not the righteousness of God anymore. Because if you were no longer the righteousness of God, you would have no room to come to the throne of God saying, I missed it, please forgive me. It doesn't matter what you've done. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. These shoes wrapped around the feet but also went up the ankle. On the bottom of these shoes were one to three inch nails or spikes that were meant to hold you in place when you're in difficult terrain. It doesn't matter what storm or attack you're facing. The peace of God can keep you planted, can keep you stable. It is the peace of God, the shalom, the nothing missing, the nothing wholeness, nothing broken but wholeness and the peace that comes from being whole. But it's also the peace of the gospel. What did those angels declare when they declared peace when Jesus was born? Peace between God and man. What does that mean? God's not mad at you. That's with the peace that comes from God. God is not mad at you. He's not at war with you. He loves you and has given you an open door to come to him. Because you can't fight the enemy if you also think God is your enemy. You have to know who's on your side and who's against you. One of Sun Tzu's first rules of the art of war was know your enemy. You have to know God is on your side. That he's a good, good father, and you're loved by him. You have to know the enemy and his tactics. Because Romans 16 and 20 is where we're going to close. And the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. Notice he didn't say under Jesus' feet under the Holy Ghost's feet, under the Father's feet. God said, I'll crush him under your feet. Notice he's called the God of peace. When you know you have peace with God, when you know you can walk in peace, when you can walk in the fruit of the spirit of peace, you can stomp on the devil's head all day long. You've decided to walk in victory. You've decided to be free. You've decided to abide in God. You've decided to live according to the word. And you can march all over the devil no matter if affliction comes your way, no matter if persecution comes your way, no matter if his cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches or lust of other things, no matter what deception Satan throws, you know you have the victory because of the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the victory right now but you must enforce it. Stand to your feet. So that's part one. That's the foundation. We'll get into some more specifics as we go forward. But before we do the normal altar call, before people leave, because I need the church to pray, if you're in here and said, I'm making the decision today I'm not going to be bound anymore. I'm making a decision. I'm going to be restless about it. I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to deal with this addiction anymore. I'm going to break this habit today. I'm going to break free. I'm not going to smoke those drugs anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. If you have a habit or addiction that you want to break free of today, come forward. We're going to pray for you, and you will be free. If you have something in your car, whether it's one of the drugs or the items that you wanna get rid of, you can drop it out the altar or dispose of it. If you wanna come and be free today, come to the altar now. Nicotine has to bow to the name of Jesus. See, we serve a God that can set you free from nicotine and give you a brand new set of lungs. We serve a God who can set you free from a meth addiction and grow you some new teeth. He's Jesus. We serve a God who can set you free from an alcohol addiction and give you a new liver. He's Jesus. You may be in here, you may have an addiction to over-the-counter drugs. It could have happened because you had some type of medical condition. And you started taking it, you got better, but you can't shake it now. But you want to be free of that, you can come forward too. Whatever is the addiction or the habit that you want to be free of, come forward now. So if people are looking, it doesn't matter people look. You just come get free. I'm not here to judge nobody. The Word does the judging. I'm just here to love. And the power of love sets people Congregation, stretch your hands towards them and pray. If anyone else needs to come, come now in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and sing that song, Minister Dathan. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save me now, forgive me of my sins, fill me with your spirit, and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com, that's FCCGA.com, to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today.